1 Thessalonians, if you're able. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're looking at verses 12 and 13. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's talking about concerning different duties, various duties and teaching. And he comes to verse 12 and he says, And we beseech you, brethren, that word beseech means urgent. And he says, We beseech you, brethren, uh, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. You may be seated. I shared with you just a moment ago, God's a God of order. If you go back and you look in the beginning, we see the creation of the world. God is a God of order. Uh, he put things in order. Uh, God's a God of order. There's a uh, marriage ceremony that should take place. There is a couple that gets married, and there's an order to the household. And so God establishes the household and the husband and the wife, and he establishes order to things. And uh, you go throughout the scriptures. There was an order to all the things that took place in the tabernacle and in the temple, uh, there was an order to things. God set things in motion, set things in order in his local church, and that's where we're coming to now, and we see things uh, being set in order, and uh, Paul uh, continuing on uh, trying to reach out to these folks. And so uh, from creation on, we see that God's a God of order. One of the favorite passages of mine in the Scriptures is found in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, and I love it because it says, For our God is not the author of confusion. Amen. You know, if we're confused... There might be something else set in motion, right? <laughs> but God's not the author of confusion. And I love this because he goes on, he says, but of peace. So he's not the author of confusion, but he's a God of peace. And he says this, as in all churches of the saints, there should be a peace amongst us. And so God's a God of order. And when things are done in order, it brings peace. And order brings peace. And the church family is to be at peace with one another. And often what brings about division, what brings about dissension in a local church, what brings about those kinds of things is really selfishness. And it's not really just necessarily the leaders, but it could be the leaders and the members themselves or both. And selfishness is what causes division or dissension. Think about it even in a local, uh, in your home. Uh, you go and you see this dissension, this division. What's happening in Washington, D.C. right now? Dissension and division, right? What is it bringing? It's bringing confusion to the United States. It's bringing confusion uh, to people. And so where there is that, there is no peace. But where there is peace, often you see there's an order to things. So to be at peace in the local church, God has established an order to his church. And when it's out of order, I say confusion erupts when things are out of order. And so it, people become confused. And yet when following God's order, it brings peace. And so the challenge for us, as I look at the message here in these two verses, of course, Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica, he's talking about making sure things are in their proper order and how we go about things. And the challenge for us is, are you equipping yourself by reading the Scriptures? As we heard this morning, we should read, but we should really study our Bibles. We had two messages over the last two Wednesdays on how to study our Bible, and Jim gave us some things to really ponder to think about. Uh, he took some tough passages and worked with those, but the challenge is, is study those out. He didn't say just take my word for it. He said study it out. As I preach, I share with you, study it out. Look at what the Scriptures teach. And so are you equipping yourself spiritually to follow God's plan of order in the local New Testament church? So I share with you, God is a God of order, and we're to remain on His plan to fulfill His word in the local church. And He gives us uh, some keys here that I would say uh, to the local church family to help maintain order in the church. 
one of the things that he teaches us, and I love this, it, it, Paul is always telling us to know some things. So one of the things he tells us is know them which labor among you. Know them. You know, I enjoy going back uh, when I get opportunity to go back and work with Chris and Mike and uh, work with Daryl and go back and work in the, in the area back there. These guys are laboring. You get to chat. You get to talk. And, uh, you know, the other day, uh, uh, Daryl was just a chatty Cathy back there. He's asking all kinds of neat questions, and I enjoyed it and just encouraged by just talking to him. But we get to know each other by talking to one another. You know the laborers. Well, he's telling us here, Paul said, know them which labor among you. What does that tell you? We ought to know each other, shouldn't we? We ought to know one another. And so the Bible teaches us to know the laborers. One of the other things that he brings out, though, he makes a statement here, and he says, know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Uh, one of the things is when you're in the local church, God's established an order in the local church, and it's important because he established the leadership in the local church. Man didn't do it. God did it. And so we have to be conscientious of that. And one of the things I talk about is to comply with counsel. <laughs> you know, when, when you're being counseled by your pastor or you're being counseled by uh, the deacons in your local church, you ought to pay attention to something uh, that these fellows have to say and the things that they're doing. And uh, my prayer is, is these two men, and not just your pastor, but these two men are walking with God. And so sometimes they have uh, a, a strong spiritual battles in their own lives, but they uh, are fighting on behalf of this church on their knees and praying for this place spiritually. And, and so uh, comply with counsel. And the last thing is this, respect the leadership. There is such a lack of respect for leadership in our nation today. Uh, it's terrible, uh, the lack of respect for leadership. Uh, you, you look at one party right now, uh, and, and their uh, vicious attacks on the office of the presidency. You see, I don't see it as an individual. I see it as an attack on the office. And, and so God established these offices, did he not? According to the Bible, you go read Romans chapter 13, you cannot doubt that God is the one that puts power in authority. You look back in the Old Testament and you say, well, man, who put those people in power? God allowed those people to be in power. Nebuchadnezzar was in power because God allowed it. <laughs> Uh, you look at King Ahab. Why was he in power? Because God allowed it. And, and, and what you have to understand is it is God that places men and women and people in positions of power, and it is God that establishes that. And so you have to respect leadership. And, I, you know, you say, well, I don't respect that person. Well, their uh, position on things, I don't respect their position on things at times, but the person, I don't need to attack them and their character to have a different point of view than they do. And, of course, we find ourselves there when it comes to leadership today. Know the laborers is where I want to start with this. So the term brethren is used by Paul often in the writings, and, and he says, and we beseech you, brethren. You ought to underline that word brethren in your Bible. You ought to understand what that means when Paul's using that terminology. And he's using the term brethren, and he's saying, listen, this is urgent, men. This is urgent, ladies. This is urgent for you to kind of get a hold of this idea that you know them that labor among you. It's an urgent matter to Paul. When he uses the word beseech, he's saying this is an urgent matter. When he says brethren, it's interesting because he's talking about family. And so he shows and is a strong indicator that he saw the saved and the members of a local church as a family. He's referring to them as brethren. It's a family. And uh, one of the things that I know when it comes to family, families have different points of view. How many of you know that? <laughs> they just do. You can be in the same household and have varying points of view. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I realized I was a Republican. 
I thought I was going to get kicked out of the house because that entire town, listen to the name, Union Town. You get the picture, <laughs> right? And uh, I remember being in ninth grade, being in my class, and we, had, uh, uh, we were going to do these debates. And how many of you remember a man named Ronald Reagan? Anybody remember him? He was running for office when I was in ninth grade. Boy, whew. And I remember that man running for office. And I started listening to what he was actually saying. And I was just in ninth grade. So we're going to have these debates. Mr. McArdle, I'll never forget him. And he said, we're going to have these debates. So he said, okay, uh, Warnick, you're going to do this. And uh, these other folks, you know, you're going to do this. And I said, okay. And uh, I came in. And he had no idea when I got up there that I was going to tell him why, if I had an opportunity to vote, I was going to vote for Ronald Reagan. He told me, shut up and sit down, Warnick. I didn't know what I was talking about. Different points of view in the world, and you can find that even in your own households, can't you? Different points of view. People can become angry over just simply different points of view. But as Christians in a Christian family, we should not allow our anger to rise up out of us like that. We should be able to sit down and talk as a family as well, right? How do things get worked out in your own household? It's better if you sit down and you discuss it, isn't it? When you talk about it, when you work through it, when you consider that all the members are born again by the Spirit. How about that? We are what? Born again by the Spirit. We're all born again, so we're a part of this family of God now, aren't we? And so being born in the Spirit, that we are now all a part of the family of God, and members in particular. So a family has the responsibilities uh, to one another as you consider like a newborn baby. One of the things that I thought about when you have these newborns, uh, somebody's taking care of those little kids, aren't they? I see the ladies have to go back in the nursery. We don't send the kids back in the nursery and shut the door and say, good luck, we'll see you in an hour. We have to have people back there, don't we? Why? Because they're little. They don't have the direction that they need yet. And one of the things that happens is a family has responsibilities to one another, and as you consider a newborn in the family, they take a lot of care before they're able to feed on their own, aren't they? And so they take a lot of care. So sometimes we have newborns come into the church. What do I mean by that? How many of us understand what I'm saying when I'm saying we have newborns show up, right? They just get saved. What are you going to do with them? Well, they, they need fed, and, and, and who's going to do that? Well, the mature should take care of those that are just coming through the door, wouldn't you agree? I, I mean, you don't take your infant and say, good luck for the rest of the day, i got to go to work. And you leave them there and hope that they eat and hope that they're able to go to the restroom, hope that they're able to change their diaper. Something's done about it, isn't it? It takes some effort. You put some time into this individual. The mature adults are to take care of these newborns, but as they go on in years, they're able to care for themselves better, but still need guidance. And, you know, I enjoy talking to my boys and my uh, daughters, and as they go on in years, you know, there was a time where we just simply were telling them what to do. And then there comes a time in their life where the only thing you have left is influence in their life. And, and, and I enjoy my conversations with my boys, with my girls, and, and talking to them and trying to give them guidance now. But the thing I enjoy the most is that I have a manual that I can still use to give them guidance don't I? I have a God, and I have the guidance of His Word. And, and the same is true when we have newborns walk through the door. We still have responsibility to God, and we have guidance. We have this manual that He's given to us that we want to guide them with this. And so 
when you're talking about know these labors, just as a child needs guidance, so does a child of God need help to grow and develop their gifts and serve God. And we're to work with them and to know them and to help them become the labors that they need to be for the glory of the Lord. And so know them that labor among you. Uh, taking into account this truth as a family, we're urged to know all the things that the laborers do among us. And Paul is also speaking expressly here about the leadership in the church. And just as you have leadership in the home, you have leadership in the house of the Lord. And, and you think about this for a moment. <clears throat> Without leadership, uh, the family falls apart. What is the biggest problem in the United States right now? It's the fact that the fathers are absent from the homes. That's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. Listen, we have Hope Children's Home in Florida because there are men who have children and walk away from their families. That's why it's there. Right now, there's over 100 children in that home right now. And they could put 1,000 there, and we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of the homes that are destroyed because dads walk out on the homes. Just leave. And yet, without that leadership, what's happening in our country? Without that kind of leadership in the home, what's happening? Well, the same is true in the house of God. Even as a dad is the head of the home, the mothers stand by him with love and cooperation, and the children obey their parents in the Lord, so then is the church family structure. This is the order that God has laid down. And without order, you have chaos. Would you agree? Without order, there's chaos. And so God established an order. And, so, and that leads to serious trouble in the home and in the church. If there's no leadership, there's chaos. And so God didn't design it that way. As you consider the home, think about this for just a moment. God laid out this order. I always think it's special when I read certain things in the Scriptures and you see an order to things. And you look at it and you say, why did God list it that way? I don't think it's accidental. I don't think he went, eh, this looks good. I think God actually puts things in order. Listen to what this says. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, and I look at that passage and it says, Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. I wonder why he put that first. I mean, I ask questions all the time. I say, why is it that he put it this way first? By the way, if you go to Ephesians, guess what's first? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the what? Lord. Why did he do that there? Why did he do it here in Colossians? What is the reason that God did that? Submission, as we heard this morning... And Brother Bill was using it. He was talking about how submission is really an umbrella of protection, and yet we've turned it into a dirty word. <laughs> that submission means something filthy rather than something good. <laughs> and God points out first, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord, is the way he says it here. In another location, he says, submit yourselves as unto the Lord. But he's saying, wives, this is important that you understand what this means. And then the second thing he does, <laughs> he says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Do you ever find that interesting? Why did he tell the husband to love the wives, and why did he tell the wives to submit to the husbands? Do you know, husbands, if you love your wife the way that Christ also loved the church, you won't have a problem with your wife submitting to you? The problem we have is that we want to be dictatorial in nature rather than loving in nature, like Christ loves us. And so you end up with problems. 
And so God placed things in order. And I love this because he said, Husbands, love your wives and watch this now and be not bitter against them. I know a lot of men that become very angry with their wives later on in their lives. For whatever reason, they come up with this and they become bitter. I'll never forget Pastor Nichols. We had a couple in the church. They'd been married for an extended period of time. I think it was almost 45 years. And the gentleman came into the office and he says, listen, he says, we don't get along. I'm getting a divorce. He said, why are you divorcing your wife? He said, I don't love her. Pastor Nichols, I love this. He said, he just looked right at him. He said, well, love her. He said, no, 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 you, you, you don't understand. I don't love her. He said, well, love her. Man, he was getting mad. I could still see. I know him really well. And I could see the anger on this guy's face. And he said, you are not listening to me. I just told you I don't love her. And he said, well, just love her then. What does the Bible say? Husbands do what? What are we supposed to do then? Love our wives. Now, I want to tell you, if you love your wife, you're going to consult with your wife. You're going to talk to your wife. She's not going to be inferior to you, although the Bible says that she's a weaker vessel, not weaker in the sense that she might not be stronger than me physically. <laughs> it might not be that she's not mentally stronger than I am, but the Bible tells me that I ought to treat her as the weaker vessel. In other words, she's fine bone china. Don't drop her. And that's what we do sometimes, don't we? Treat them like a clay pot rather than a care for them as we ought to. So there's an order to things. You know what? It doesn't end there. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And this is my favorite part here. And it comes to this. Children, obey your parents. I love this phrase. In all things. Isn't that wonderful? How many things are my children supposed to listen to me in? In all things. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Now, when he said this is well-pleasing unto the Lord, I want you to get a hold of this. He wasn't just talking about when the kids obey their parents in all things. He was talking about the wives submitting to their husbands. He was talking about the husbands loving their wives. And he was talking about the children obeying their parents. He said, now, when this goes on, there's an order to things. <laughs> this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so there's an order to things. And when you see this, and this is out of order in the home, it starts down a path of becoming dysfunctional, doesn't it? When the wife starts telling the husband what's going to be done and the way they're going to do it, and the husband becomes submissive to the wife instead of being who he ought to be in his home, and, and, and the roles get reversed, and the children start telling the parents how they ought to obey the children and everything because this is right in their mind. That's what's wrong. How many of you see that today? That's what's wrong in the home. Everything's backwards. And yet God put an order to things, didn't he? When you look at the order that he laid down, this same truth is applicable in the local church. And God established an order to be followed. And when this is out of order, then the church starts to become dysfunctional. So Paul dealt with the leadership and the order of the church because without order, there's chaos. And God established the leadership and the functionality of the local New Testament church. So this is not done so that the pastor can be the dictator, nor that the members try to exhibit authority over the pastor. That's not what he's talking about at all here. And so we get confused about what God's speaking about. I, I, I uh, find a couple of passages in the Bible, and, and I've heard these misused. I don't try to misuse these, but I'm saying to you, I love you. <laughs> My request of you is, not only love me back, but when I'm giving you spiritual advice, you ought to listen. Amen. 
Because I'm looking at it through word and doctrine. <laughs> and when I'm speaking to you, I'm not trying to harm you, just like I wouldn't harm my own kids. I don't want to harm what God has put me overseeing. <laughs> Why would I do that? And so when I looked at the Scriptures, he said, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Look at their life and consider what they're telling you. <laughs> Listen to the words that come out of the mouth that God has placed in an authority over you. Not to harm you, but to help you. Many of you know this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. There's that filthy, dirty word again. That's a filthy, dirty word, isn't it? Submit yourselves. And here's what he said. For they watch for your souls. Now, I want to tell you, I take that seriously as a pastor. Now, I don't know if you take your part seriously, but I take my part seriously. And my part is, is that I watch for your souls. When someone's not here on Sunday morning, pastor hadn't forgotten that they're not here. When they're not here Sunday night, I didn't forget that they didn't show up Sunday night. I want to tell you, I watch for their souls. That I must give an account, that I may do it with joy and not with grief. You know why? Because it's unprofitable for you. It's a powerful verse. When you're not here, I notice. You say, boy, I sure hope he doesn't notice I'm not here. No, I do notice. <laughs> when you're not around, I'm going to find out, well, where are you? Why? Because I don't want sheep going astray. What happens when they go astray? <laughs> Off a cliff before you know it, right? So God established an order to things. So Paul points out that as we work together, we're to know one another and understand our role and our responsibility. And he says, know them which labor among you. I want to ask you something. How many of you know me? How many of you know me? <laughs> isn't it? That's loaded, isn't it? And the thing of it is, is we ought to know one another, shouldn't we? I want to know what you do for a living. I want to show up at your place. I want to see what you're doing. You ought to show up at my place once in a while and see what I'm doing. And the thing of it is, is we ought to know them that labor, what? Among you. We ought to know each other, right? Do you know each other in your house? I can tell you which kid's going to leave caps off the of bottles and leave them sitting on the stand. I know my kids, right? I know my children. I know the one that's down popping the popcorn. I don't have to go out in the room to find out who's popping popcorn at midnight. I know who's doing it. I know my kids. I know the one that's in the refrigerator, and I hear the refrigerator door open, and the next thing I do, if I could walk out, I know they're drinking out of that milk jug. I know them. Yes. <laughs> Except for when I want to drink it after they drank out of it. <laughs> and the thing of it is, is I know them, don't I? Do you know that's what God's telling us? We need to know each other, just like a family does. So if wives are to submit themselves unto their husbands, if the husbands are to love their wives, if the children are to obey in all things, and you look at this and you see this order to things, and you remember they have spoken the word to you, consider that they ended the conversation, obey them. Listen, submit yourselves. That's not a dirty word. When it's saying submit yourselves, submit yourselves unto the word of God that's being preached to you. Amen? by the one who's doing so. Second thing is this. There's a warning that the members are to submit to authority. This is tough. He says in this passage, he said, uh, know them that labor among you and are over you in 
the Lord and admonish you. You know what's tough as a pastor? To be among you and over you at the same time. That's hard. That's what that passage is teaching me. And so I have to be among you, but I'm over you at the same time. It's a hard passage. And so as I got to this, I'm just preaching through Thessalonians, and I thought, man, I don't want to preach this, Lord. I don't feel comfortable with this stuff. And he said, I don't care. (laughs) It needs preached. And so you get to this, and this tends to be a very delicate subject in the local church, and it should be based on truth and order that the Lord has established. And this is the idea of comply with counsel, if you will. And God has ordained leadership in the local church, and it is true, all are one in Christ Jesus, according to Galatians 3.28. But it's also clear that the Lord has given gifts to the people and these people to the local church. So based on the gifts given found in Ephesians chapter 4, we exercise those gifts according to God's will. So just as a sheep, uh, just as a flock of sheep need a shepherd, a family needs a leader, and so does the local assembly of believers need leadership. Amen. And you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and I don't have time to go into all this, but it's very clear my role and responsibility, your role and responsibility, and we do this together. I'm among you, and God said, and over you. Amen. He did that. I didn't do that. He placed it there. Now, what then are the responsibilities that the brethren have toward their spiritual leaders? I was looking at some of the things that it's teaching here, and, uh, and, and he says, uh, receive or accept them. And he, and he says we are to receive them, accept them. Uh, so they are God's gift to the church. And I had uh, um, up at Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church, Brother Dennis Leatherman one time, he was preaching a message. <laughs> And I'll never forget this because he said, he said, you know what? If God did anything and wrapped up a gift and gave it to this church, he said it was me with a bow on my head. And I said, how do you say that, brother? He said, read what the Bible teaches. God has given the pastor to the local church as a gift. Now, you might not like your gift. You might want to refund and take it back. You know what I'm saying? But it is a gift of God, isn't it? And it's hard for us to accept some of this stuff sometimes. And so they are God's gift to the church. They have spiritual authority from the Lord. Spiritual authority. So when they're sharing things with you, my prayer is is that there are times when some of you have come to me and I said, I don't want to answer you yet. <laughs> How many of you have felt that from me? I can't answer you right now. I've got to read. I've got I to think about what you just asked me. I have to see what God says about it because I don't always have the answer. But I want to consult the one that does before I have words just slip out of my mouth because I'm going to stand before God for everything I say to you, even from this pulpit. So when he says they have spiritual authority from the Lord, they are to be accepted as from the Lord. In other words, it's not, well, just a bunch of people decided to do this. (laughs) Well, did a bunch of people decide to make Nebuchadnezzar king? (laughs) Did a bunch of people just decide to make Ahab king? Was it just a bunch of people that did that, or does the Bible teach us something very different than that? Something very different, doesn't it? God is the one that places people in authority. They're not dictators. I'm not a dictator, but they are leaders and examples, and that's what I want to be for you. They follow the Lord, and they do, uh, uh, as, as I, and I've, I've said this over and over again, as I follow the Lord, follow me. If I'm not following God anymore, don't follow me. If I come up here and speak nonsense, don't follow me. <laughs> If I start to exceed my authority that I think I'm greater than Jesus or greater than God or more important or any of those things, don't follow that guy. Follow the Lord. 
But as they follow the Lord, follow them. Here's the other thing. Be thankful or appreciate them. Know them as laborers in the word and doctrine. Honor them as faithful servants of the Lord so long as God gets the glory. And I want to share this with you. Spiritual leadership, folks, is a great responsibility. And it's a difficult task at times. It's a very difficult task. Often many spiritual battles come and burdens come. And, uh, and, and I'm not being unkind. Not many encouragements come. But a lot of spiritual battles come. And it's difficult at times. And so when you read the scriptures, you begin to understand these truths, and therefore, you're to pray for your leaders. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. How many of you pray for pastor, his wife, and his family by name daily? Taking me before the Lord. I'm asking you to do this. Take my name before God. Take my wife's name, my children, and take their name before the Lord. Now I want to challenge you one more step, because there's two other leaders in this church right now. How many of you pray for Jim and Lori and their entire family every day and lift their name up before God as deacons in a local church? How many of you lift up Chris and Connie every day before the Lord? Lift up their name. Listen, God made them. I didn't make them deacons. And by the way, neither did you. God did that. You say, well, we... We voted one time and we put... No, you didn't. <laughs> you may have done the process, but I'm telling you, God put them in the position. And if God placed them there, they ought to be on your heart and on your mind. You ought to be praying for them by name, their families. Listen, just as you have needs, they do too. And by the way, they fight spiritual battles sometimes that maybe you're not fighting. And they're praying and asking God to help and do things here, and they're aware of things at times, and it's a burden to carry some of those things at times. And I challenge you, pray for them by name. Pray for their family. Here's what it goes on to say. He says here that, you know, the pastors and the deacons, uh, it, it's spiritually dangerous for the church and the family leaders, uh, uh, for the family of the church to take their leaders for granted and failing to pray for them and work with them and encourage them. Come up alongside them and say, hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate what you did. Come up alongside them. Therefore, when they admonish you, <laughs> what a wonderful word, right? So look at what it says. It says, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It's not an easy word. When they caution you or reprove you or warn you, this is an opportunity to thank the Lord for the spiritual leadership He's allowed into your life. Let me give you four verses real quick, and then I'm going to hustle along with this. He says in Romans 15, 14, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. To admonish is to be able to warn or reprove people at times and to caution them. Now, if I saw Jim or Chris doing something or one of you doing something that I see that goes against the Scriptures, I'm going to warn you. Now, you may get upset with me, you may get angry with me, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says because I have a responsibility before God. Likewise, so do these two men. And if they see something and they know and they come and they caution you about it or reprove you for it, don't get angry with them. Thank God for the spiritual leadership that's been brought into your lives. Now, I'm not saying they become the Holy Ghost, and neither do I, but there are times whenever it calls for us to take action that way. 
It's hard. It's not easy. And it's not in anger. It's in love. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. He said these things, these examples, these are written for our admonition, for our admonishment. In Colossians 3, 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And here in 2 Thessalonians, he said, Yet count them uh, not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. To be admonished by a spiritual leader is not just a critical thing of you, but to warn you through truth, warn you according to the word of God, warn you uh, about spiritual matters in your life. Therefore, when they approach you, it's not for the purpose of simply criticism, but for the purpose of love and encouragement to also exhort you to obey the Lord and His Word. Then there's to be reverence for the spiritual leadership, and that's what Paul brings up here. If you look at verse 13, he said, "...to esteem them very highly in love in their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves." So there are, in many cases in the local church, where members simply want to spiritual leadership of the church just to be their buddies. Now, I love people. I like learning about you, but I've learned one thing. I love my children too, but my children are not my buddies. They're my children. God gave me a responsibility for them. And pastor wants to love you. He wants to help you, and I want to listen to you, but we're not school chums and buddies on the schoolyard. What we are is God established a relationship. He established an order to things. And, and, and as I shared with you, this is not an easy message to preach. There is nothing wrong with a friendly or brotherly relationship, but it's not become buddies as on that job site or school chums, but it's a brotherly love, understanding God's order. The pastor and deacons are not dictators, but friends of God and friends of the people and friends of the church, but still have a biblical responsibility to be true to the Word of God. Do you know I've had more people get upset with me when I tell them the truth from God's Word than any other thing, folks? I'm being honest with you. They've gotten more upset when I tell them some truth from God's Word that goes contrary to some action or something that they want to do. And you tell them what the Bible says, and that's when the anger starts. You tell them truth by God's Word. And I would likewise say to you, if one of the deacons said something to you and showed you what the Bible said, don't get angry at them. But I'll tell you what we have difficulty with today. There's a lack of reverence for spiritual leadership today. And it's not just on the part of the members of the local church family. It's also, uh, it lays on the shoulders of the leaders at times, and, then, and they show partiality to people. We're not to do that. Jim and Chris and myself should not show partiality to certain people in this church. No way. That shouldn't ha I shouldn't do that with them. They shouldn't do it with uh, others in the church. That's not the way this thing works. And what we ought to do is love one another as brethren. And so when we look at this, when this occurs, it can diminish the authority of the spiritual leader placed upon him by the Lord, and this can cause a strained relationship apart from true Christian love. It can create an environment that's tough, uh, and, and as I shared with you, the pastor is among you but over you. At the same time, this demands grace and power of the Spirit of God on my part, but also on yours. It requires that of us. Now, when these are out of balance, it can weaken and even possibly destroy a ministry, and therefore members are to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. Esteem is to respect, to show admiration for, and to hold them in high regard in love for the work's sake. And we're to do that. 
I look across our nation today and I see such a lack of respect for leadership today. And some of them, granted, in a lot of ways you could say they deserve it. But we ought to have respect for the position in the office. And we're missing that today. I mean, all you got to do is go on Facebook for five minutes and you can see it. And we have taught a nation, we've taught a country, we've taught a generation, you don't have to respect leadership. We've taught them that. And by the way, as it is in society, it carries over into the local church. And people have a lack of respect for leadership. And a lot of times, that lack of respect comes due to the fact that something's been shared with you that you don't want to hear, you don't want to listen to, or you disagree with. Whenever you come into the Scriptures, the work is the work of the Lord that they perform daily. And as we are told in the Scriptures, to be wise in our relationship with the leaders... I'm going to read this to you out of 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 21. It says, let the, elders that rule, um, uh, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. You know, folks, I've heard many, many messages on this about the fact that it has to do with how much a pastor gets paid. I think it has very little to do with that. But I think when a pastor speaks to you, you ought to listen. And the other thing that ought to happen is, is that you ought to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes because sometimes you don't have all the information. And you're making a decision based upon one side or another and you don't have all the information. And when it says that they're worthy of double honor, you ought to be careful because they're the ones, and I challenge you with this, you can come to my office anytime you want, every day, I study the word and the doctrine because I want to know what God has to say. So when I bring something to you, I haven't been thoughtless about it, but thoughtful about it. And whenever something's being shared with you from the scriptures, from the Bible, he says here, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And here's the thing, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. I've heard a lot of messages on this. But if we could just shut his mouth so he doesn't say that stuff to us anymore, we'd be in better shape. (laughs) Because if he says those things, it could cause some people to maybe get upset or leave or whatever because he keeps opening that book and telling us stuff that 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 book says. (laughs) And it bothers us. And he said, don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, right? Right? the one that's given you what you need. Now, when you think about this, he goes on, he says, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things uh, without preferring one before another, doing nothing but partiality. And what did I just tell you a minute ago? We can't be partial one to another. (laughs) We can't do that. We're a family. Christians must be very careful that they are not disrespectful to the spiritual leaders that the Lord has assigned to their life. They're a brethren, but you're not in a buddy-buddy situation (laughs) on the job. That's not how it's working. And they are your spiritual leaders, and they're to be treated as such. And that is the order that the Lord established. So when there's division and dissension in the local church, it's usually the result of one thing. It's called selfishness. 
And the leaders can become selfish, the people can become selfish, or both. And it creates dissension, creates division when we become uh, selfish. Let me read this from James. He said, James 4, 1 through 3, For whence comes war and fightings among you? <laughs> Where do they come from? And he said, Come they not, uh, come, uh, they not hence even of your uh, lust that war in your members? Where do they start? <laughs> I want my own way. It's the little kid at his birthday party, isn't he? <laughs> Just kicking and screaming. It's the kid in the grocery store throwing it down, man, because he wants his Snickers bar, and you ain't getting it for him. <laughs> Here's what he said. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. He said, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. Ye may consume it upon your own lust. We're going to God in the wrong fashion, in the wrong way. We war against each other, and it's foolishness. We need to know the labors. We need to comply with counsel, right? And we have to respect leadership, both inside this church and outside these walls. We ought to have a respect for leadership. Be careful what you folks are posting on Facebook. By the way, more people see it than you think. And the words that you use when you post those things, you ought to be very careful about it. I'm going to share a story with you, and we'll end with this. About three months ago, I got upset at what I saw our leadership in Washington, D.C. doing. So in my heart, I sat down and I decided I was going to type up exactly what I was thinking about what I believe Nancy Pelosi was doing. And I typed it up and I posted it on Facebook. And this rivets my heart. So then I see later on someone responding to what I said and what I ended up doing was causing two friends from the past that we had all the way back in Loudoun County, Virginia to start fighting with one another over what I posted. Thinking I was doing the right thing, right? You say, what, you can't have an opinion? No, I can, but you got to be cautious because you never know how harmful what you say and do will affect other people's lives. And believe me, it can become harmful. And so be careful about what you're doing out there on Facebook. Be careful about the things you're posting. Be careful about the things you say about others. <laughs> because you know what, folks? That spoke more and volumes about your pastor than it did about the people that were even arguing. Selfishness. Felt like I had a right to say some things. Are you with me? Be careful what you do with your words. I have not reconciled that yet, and it's tearing my heart out. <laughs> because I have two friends now fighting over something I posted. One agreed with me. One disagreed with me. And they made it public over something I posted. By the way, I got off of Facebook. I use it simply for church now. I got off of uh, uh, Twitter as well. I just shut the account down. I don't want to hear it anymore. And I realized that kind of talk gets people in trouble, no matter how you feel. Do you know why? Because God told me all powers are of the what? Lord, and we better be careful what we say about who God has placed in leadership. Liking it or not, you got to be careful. Amen? Know your laborers. Know those that labor among you. We ought to know one another. Comply with counsel. If pastor's talking to you about what the Word of God says, listen and pay attention. 
You say, well, I have a different point of view. It's of no private interpretation. Amen? We can sit down and agree and look at the scriptures and see it together. And then respect leadership. We need to teach that to a generation. Amen? We ought to teach the generations to come how to respect leadership. Let's pray. Father.